It is April 6th, 1959. We are live in Hollywood, California at the Pantages Theater, where we are honoring the films of 1958 at the 31st Annual Academy Awards. And it's pretty much been one movie all night. I have absolutely no idea who's going to win Best Picture. So I, the envelope, please. And the winner is... Gigi. Gigi. Oh. Not to be confused with Gili, starring Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> no, that is one movie I will say Gigi's better than. <laughs> um, but uh, this fair, is... Fair, fair. I gotta tell you, I'm looking at I'm looking at the list of hosts for this year, mm-hmm. and it's Jerry Lewis, Mort Shaw, Tony Randall, Bob Hope again, David Niven, and Laurence Olivier. I mean, wow, that's, that's so many people. That's quite a few people. I also have no idea who Mort Saul is. That his name? Yeah, um, he's he's a new one to me too. He's uh, he's a stand-up comedian, according to his uh, Wikipedia page. Um, so uh, I think that he was obviously brought in for that. Um, sure, for we that needed purpose. some more. We needed some more humor, apparently, because Jerry Lewis and Bob Hope and Tony Randall, I guess, just couldn't handle just the not comedy. Enough. Not by enough themselves. Comedy. <laughs> well, um, apparently he. Um, he wrote jokes for John F. Kennedy's campaign speeches. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, there we there we go. We are, you know what? We are almost to the 60s. We're so close. We are so close to the 60s. Well, next year we'll kind of be in the 60s. We'll this be is awarding, true. We'll be awarding in the 60s, even if it's not actually the 60s. That's very, very true. Um, however, let's get into the 1958 films and the ceremony. This is uh, interesting as I was reading about the ceremony as the stars were arriving. Um, last week, we chatted about Liz Taylor, who ran off with Eddie Fisher, uh, dear Debbie Reynolds' um, ex-husband. Uh, and at this year's ceremony, Liz Taylor and Eddie Fisher showed up together. Scandal. 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 And I mean, that that would be a scandal because um, everything, I, I believe they got married in 1959. Wow. Um, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, they had to wait for, yeah, uh, the divorce happened in 59 and then the marriage happened in 59. So they had to wait for the divorce to go through before they could, you know, get married. And so... Wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she, um, <laughs> poor Debbie was probably just sitting at home with her two, two little infant children. Oh my gosh, and... I wonder, I wonder, she must have watched it. I'm assuming she probably watched it. I don't know why she wouldn't. There were only three channels. What else was she doing that night? You know? Fair. You know what? Fair. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows? I, I, I say that and she was probably making two movies and. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know, uh, this is also kind of a unique ceremony as well, because it seemed like this was the year the Academy chose to actually um, try and make the ceremony considerably shorter in length. And uh, it ended mm-hmm. 20 minutes too early and they had to, like, fill the time. <laughs> How yes. crazy is that? Imagine yes. an Oscar ceremony not running 
over three hours. Can you imagine? Didn't they, like, bring a bunch of people on stage and um, they started to sing, like, Hooray for Hollywood or something like There's that? There's no business like no show business. No business like show business. That was it. Yes. And um, I read that it was awkward as fuck. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, this is probably about the only ceremony I know of that ever ended early. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> but what is interesting about this little note is something that we will see throughout the history of the Oscars of the Oscars being extremely conscious of how long the show is Mm -hmm. and trying to cut it down because there are going to be years in the future where four hours is not unusual. Um, And and it's crazy, but I don't know. I personally don't care how long the show is. Honestly, I never wanted to end. Have the Oscars? They could have the Oscars go from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. and I would be happy. In fact, I usually do watch like Oscar coverage starting at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like um, uh, we're actually recording this the day after the the Emmys. I don't know yes. if you saw any of the of the Emmys. I I enjoy even. If I care more about the Oscars, I enjoy a good award show, you know? Oh, I love it. I eat that shit up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I love it. And um, and last night was... I, I'm just going to briefly mention here, Do since our favorite season is awards season, um, that uh, the incredible show Shit's Creek, if you have not seen it, uh, won every comedy award last night. It's and swept. watching them... They did. And watching the joy on Dan Levy's face was worth, was almost worth every horrible thing that, uh, that has happened in recent times. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it truly was, um, it was a healing moment and it is a wonderful show for quarantine if you have not watched it. So Boom. between your best picture watches with us, throw that show in. Do it up. Well, should we dive in, Rance? Let's dive into Supporting Actor for 1958. The Oscar did go to uh, Burl Ives for The Big Country. Now, I want to tell you, I really want to watch The Big Country, if only because it's William Wyler's Western, where he finally delved into the Western genre. And I'm very curious to see what he does uh, with a large epic scale Western movie. And once again, we talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago about how more actors win Oscars for William Wyler movies. For the longest time, I didn't know The Big Country was a William Wyler film. I just knew Burl Ives won an Oscar for it. But now it just makes perfect sense. Like, literally every movie he does, someone wins an Oscar or is at least nominated. Am I wrong? No, he um, he has the record uh, for having directed the most performances two Oscars. I think it's 11 or 12, something like that. Um, and in addition to that, there are a score of other nominations from movies oh, yeah. that he uh, directed. And he really was, I mean, they called him, you know, they called, uh, there was a director in the 30s at MGM uh, named uh, Woody Van Dyke, who mm-hmm. did um, The Thin Man and uh, some other fast-paced movies like that. They called him One Take Woody, and they called uh, William Wyler Forty Take Willie, because <laughs> <laughs> he would uh, 
literally demands so much of the Oscar uh, of the actors in the scene. He wanted as many takes as possible. He wanted absolute perfection out of everybody. And a lot of times he'd end up, you know, printing the third or fourth take, but he still put them through dozens and dozens of takes of various scenes just so he could get it perfect, which ends up helping the actor because he truly makes sure that their best moments are always on film. As, as you know, some directors... Um, it's less about the performance. You know, it's you have the Hitchcocks out there who just want um, a certain angle and an expression that matches the palette they see in their head. Um, and William Wyler is a little bit more uh, free with the performances. Definitely. Um, and it was also said that uh, he actually said many a time that he doesn't run an acting school. So he wouldn't really offer his actors a lot of direction in terms of their performance. He would just say, it's not there yet. Keep going. Again, take two, three, four. You know, and the actors, I had read that they they started to get kind of frustrated with him. It's like, what do you want? What am I not giving you? And he doesn't really know what. He just knows when he sees it. And that's why I think he makes him do take after take after take because it's just not quite fitting into what he knows the actor can deliver. You know, I think it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I think that William Wyler maybe actually was a little bit like Hitchcock in that he hired actors because they, you know, as you just said it, could do the job. You know, he hired actors who fit what he wanted. He didn't feel like he had to give them that extra bit because I hired you because you can do it. What else do you need? But a little bit unlike Hitchcock, he uh, allowed for a little bit more freedom in the way that he framed shots and and the way that things were cut together and uh, getting coverage so that um, you could choose uh, different angles and editing and whatnot. Um, so he um, he's an actor's director in the sense that he gives them lots of freedom to create, but he is... Um, He's not a, he's not an actor. Stu he's not like an Elia Kazan, you know. Right. Um, so anyway, I I, I love William Wyler, uh, and I'm always happy when anyone wins for a William Wyler movie. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, there uh, there are some interesting people in the category. Uh, your boy Lee J Cobb uh, mm -hmm. didn't get the nomination for Twelve Angry Men, but here he is for. <laughs> For a different or, um, movie, <laughs> a different movie. Uh, maybe this is the makeup. I don't know, but I'm sure he's. I'm sure he deserves it. He's always great. I, um, I just haven't seen uh, the brothers uh, Kara Mazov. Yep, that's that's sounds right. <laughs> I haven't heard of it either. <laughs> um, got Arthur Kennedy here, who's a standby. Mm -hmm. Poor guy. How many nominations did he have? He had. I think he. This must five. be at least three or four of. I think he gets like five total. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, this is his last one. He got five nominations and never won. Never won. Um, Gig Young, who made a lot of movies in the 50s and 60s, and he's going to win a supporting actor Oscar later. In about a decade. In a decade. And I just want to say that in a decade. We're going to talk more about Gig Young's personal life, mm. which has a scandal 
at the very end. There you go. Yes, absolutely. That's my preview, but I don't want to talk since we have we get to talk about him more. I don't want to talk about it yet. Yes, yes, yes. Very true. Yes. All right. So those are our supporting actor nominees. We're moving over to supporting actress. Yes. Um. Okay. So Wendy Hiller wins for Separate Tables. Mm-hmm. Uh. And I will say, I think she does a fine job. I've seen Separate Tables a few years ago. Uh. Kind of a peculiar little movie. A very intense melodrama. Um. And I think Wendy Hiller is the standout among the. I mean, there's a lot of big names in this movie, but I think she's the acting standout. Uh, so I love her win here. She plays the the new girlfriend or fiance, I think, maybe even wife to Burt Lancaster. Can't remember, but yeah. she's with Burt Lancaster, and Burt Lancaster's ex-wife Rita Hayworth comes to his hotel, being managed by Wendy Hiller, and it kind of you know causes frustration. Did you say this is another incident of of Burt Lancaster with a middle-aged woman. Literally, Burt Lancaster in everything. What what movie was Burt Lancaster not in? <laughs> He's in everything. <laughs> but I like that Burt Lancaster is defying the odds and actually being. Uh, he's typically with age-appropriate women. I mean, this is very unusual for the yeah. '50s in particular, when you have movies like uh, Funny Face getting made, where Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire are together. I mean, like true. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> Yeah, oh, and I mean, uh, uh, Burt Lancaster doesn't ever star with Audrey Hepburn, does he? No. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is uh, good on him, you know. Yes, definitely. Um, but I agree with you. She is the standout in that film, which is a very, uh, which is very much an ensemble movie. And mm-hmm. in a second, we can talk about um, about what constitutes a lead. Yes. Uh, in relation to separate into... tables. Uh, yes. But um, I will also say that she was nominated previously for uh, Pygmalion, which is the original version of My Fair Lady before um, it was a play and then it was a movie and then it was made into the musical My Fair Lady. Um, and I have seen her in that and she's a great Eliza Doolittle mm. in Pygmalion as well. Uh, she had um, a very long career, British actress, not as well known in America, and more of a stage actress as well. Um, she did make some really great appearances in film. We're going to see her in another Best Picture winner in a few years, um, and she also uh, is one of the many great people in the ensemble for uh, Murder on the Orient Express in the 70s. Um Yes, so, she's definitely one of those actors, actors. She's cared more for the craft than awards. When she won the Oscar, she literally said, never mind the honor, although I'm sure it's very nice of them. I hope this award means cash, hard cash. <laughs> like, wow, if that's not I an actress, it, I don't I know who it was. Is. Wendy Hiller, I hope that you got hard cash off of that. I hope so, too. <laughs> um, we have a few other people in here. Not as many big names this time around. The only... A uh, big name and supporting actress, I'd say, is Ma- Maureen Stapleton. Yep. Um, who, uh, you know, made a, a ton of uh, uh, movie appearances um, throughout uh, the. Se- I guess she didn't make a ton of. She made, did more TV and stage, but she's someone that um, you probably know, even if you don't know, you know her. Um, because she's just so 
uh, all over the place. Um, yeah. uh, she uh, is in Bye Bye Birdie, where she plays Dick Van Dyke's mom in that movie. Um, she was working um, all the way uh, up until nearly the end, too. She had some uh, appearances in the 2000s. And, wow. Wow, um, wow. <laughs> Yeah, and she's in uh, some 80s movies like uh, Cocoon, The Money Pit, Heartburn, Reds, which we will talk about her in Reds later because that's where she won her Oscar. Yes. Um, and she worked with um, she worked with uh, Woody Allen and in Interiors, and um, she's just a, a very prolific uh, character actress. And um, it, it, this is uh, the first time we're going to see something from her. Yep, this will um, be the first of many nominees she has before her win uh, for Reds, but yes. Peggy Cast didn't do much besides uh, Anti-Mame, but I will say um, she is absolutely hilarious in Anti-Mame, and I'll talk more about that film. Um, her name's Agnes Gooch, and I think that that name should give you an idea <laughs> of how funny she is. Um, and I'll talk more about Anti-Mame uh, on the other categories. Um Beautiful. But uh, yeah, Wendy Hiller, great, great actress, and she's maybe the best part of Separate Tables, so I'm in support of this. Absolutely. So let's go over to the other Separate Tables winner for Best Actor. Uh, sitting David at a separate Nibben. table. But... Sitting at a separate table, absolutely. We have David Nibben, who finally not only gets nominated for an Oscar, but he finally wins an Academy Award after, oh my God, I think the first time we talked about David Niven was back in 1939 for Wuthering Heights. Like he's no, been- and he, I think I actually probably name checked him in 36 cause he's in um, Dodsworth, which is a- I think you did, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's been an actor and like a reliably good actor for decades now, you know, and I think he hosted the Oscars. He hosted last year and he's one of the hosts this year, which uh, yes. we should know. This is the only time a host won an Academy, a competitive Academy Award during the ceremony. Wild. That's um, wild. However, I will say, as we discussed a little bit earlier, this is a bit of a category fraud. Get into it, Sam. David Niven's in this movie for maybe 20, 22 minutes. I feel like we always say that whenever there's a category fraud for the leading categories, they're always only in it for about 20 minutes. And usually it's like those are 20 minutes of, you know, brilliant performance. If we're going to, you know, the example I always give is, um, Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, like not necessarily leading performance, but what he does in that movie transcends any category. He is Hannibal Lecter. Uh, so I'm okay with that. But this one I'm less okay with. <laughs> this is just blatant category fraud. He should be in the supporting actor. And I honestly think if he had been in supporting actor, he might have given Burl Ives a run for his money. I think this is a very unique uh, character for David Niven to play. I mean, he kind of plays this child molester who it's revealed to this hotel and they want him out you know and he kind of deals well, you know, with that I, I think part of it may have to be with how counter that is to david niven's persona because you know david niven's always a good guy he's always um a likable guy um he's a leading man you know Definitely. and at this point in time, you know, his name probably helped put him in leading as opposed to supporting, 
even though in a way everybody's supporting in this movie. Yes. You know, because nobody's on screen for more than 20 minutes, probably. Yep. Um, but uh, so what constitutes a lead in a movie that is as, is as ensemble as this one is very difficult to to nail. Um, but it is interesting because he's up against four people of equal stature um, who um, or, you know, and probably a couple here who are much uh, who are more legendary than he is. Yeah. Um, and we're, we look at like, OK, you got two performances from the Defiant Ones, which is one of the defining uh, movies in the 50s on race relations. Absolutely. Um, featuring powerful performances from both Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. Um, Tony Curtis is somebody who I don't think people say like, man, he was really robbed of an Oscar because he's more of a movie star than he is an actor. Um <laughs> You know, but uh, Sydney is going to win, you know, here in a few years. Um, but I'll, I mean, uh, there probably is an argument that this performance is probably more iconic than the one that he wins for. So there is that. But this is also the first time this is his first nomination, right? Yep, this is. Um, so this is the first time that a black man has been nominated in the best actor category. So it's kind of like Dorothy Dandridge a few years ago. It's probably not going to get more than a nomination. Thankfully, Sydney's career goes in a much more upward direction than Dorothy Dandridge's did. You know, Spencer Tracy already had two Oscars. So at this point, even though the old man, the sea is, you know, classic, um, it, it just, it just feels like, okay, well, well, let's get Spencer his usual nomination. Definitely. Also, I, I would say that Spencer Tracy's best performance is a couple of years off from where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that movie. Paul Newman eventually huh. wins an Oscar again for probably the wrong movie. Cat yes. on the Haunted Roof is a more iconic performance. And this is like another example of almost, well, I mean, it kind of parallels the trajectory of Marlon Brando just a few years earlier where he was this hot new young actor from, uh, you know, the actor's studio, this method acting. Paul Newman is now kind of the new Marlon Brando here, you know, and it's, I think it's funny that he and had auditioned for. And this is right when for, he breaks out, you know, exactly. he broke out 57, 58, and he's going to remain arguably the top movie star for quite a while and he will continue to be seen as paul newman for the rest of his life he remains relevant for his entire life oh um, and remains a movie star for his entire life absolutely and you can't undercut how big he is this is his first nomination this is the first time we're really seeing him on the scene so it's not that surprising that he didn't win right even though with the benefit of hindsight we do know that he's going to eventually win for a performance that is not considered as great as many of his others although we do have other chances to make up for this as well no, that's true. And my thing is, like, with this, I I mean, I really love that David Niven has an Oscar. I really think he needs one. I think he's a great actor. And, you know, this also isn't a a bad role. He doesn't act badly in it. Um, 
so I'm torn as well, you know? I, no, I, I want mean, him to have an Oscar. I but... want him to have an Oscar, and this is the only opportunity we have to give him an Oscar. True. It probably shouldn't be the only op- Oh, sorry for that ding. Uh, it probably shouldn't be the only opportunity that we have to give him an Oscar, but yeah. unfortunately, with the way that the cards went down, yep. this is it. So, this category it. aside... We'll give it to him. You know what? Yeah. I, I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> we'll let the category fraud slide yet again. <laughs> now, Best Actress is pretty stacked this year. Yes, it I is. I gotta say, this is a, this is a super A-list group of people. Yeah. Um, so, Susan Hayward is the one who ends up winning. Susan Hayward was nominated a bunch of times in the 50s, and so she was going to win eventually. Yes. Um. And she and all of her movies are very much uh, actress movies, um, where she gets uh, really transformative roles. And I Want to Live is an interesting one because she plays a real life person. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, Barbara Graham is the name of the convicted murderer that she plays, and she was uh, the third woman in California to be executed by gas. And the movie is about Everything from um, from the murder itself, which the movie, uh, as I recall, it's been a little while, plays a little fast and loose with whether or not they think she actually did it. Um, I think it kind of leaves it up to the viewer. Um, Smart. Uh, it um, The movie itself, uh, like, you have to make it a... Uh, a sympathetic character so they want to imply that the character might have been wrongly convicted right um, so um so it's very ripped from the headlines although you should keep in mind that it is uh not fact um it is semi-fictionalized so um gotcha. it's got the hollywood it, treatment it's the hollywood treatment but the poster it i encourage everyone to go google the poster right now because it's uh, literally her in an electric chair. Not uh, it is a chair, but she's strapped in the chair to be chair to be gassed. To but, be gassed, yes. But wow, it is a really very intense. provocative poster. Um, and it's directed by the movie was directed by Robert Wise, who is uh, one of uh, I think the um, unsung heroes of the fifties and sixties. Definitely. Um, so. Um, uh, definitely understand why she wins this Oscar, um, and she does give a great performance. Um, this is our first appearance for Shirley MacLaine. Ah, yes, and for a much, much better role than we saw her a couple years ago in Around the World in 80 Days. <laughs> Good Lord. She's come so far in two years, so far. <laughs> she came running, you might say. <laughs> and uh, this is the first, uh, maybe not the first, but I guess one of many roles where she plays um sort of a what do you i don't want to say prostitute i don't think she's technically a prostitute in this movie but uh, a woman who is very open with the boys let's put it that way well i mean the last name of her character is moorhead <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you know what? i read that and i didn't even go there well and, i mean i don't it. And I, I don't usually it. go there because I usually associate that name with Agnes Moorhead. But um, true, wow. But no, that, but, that's wow. That that pretty much sums up her character, absolutely. Wow. But what Shirley right. MacLaine does so well is even with these 
one seemingly one-dimensional roles of someone who is sort of like a prostitute. She makes them full people. Like she brings a humanity to it. She definitely is great at the hooker with a heart of gold. Absolutely. You know? Yes. Um, so this is and, her first of many Oscar nominations. And she's going to have a chance to play many different types of characters. She, she will. I mean, she still is. Uh, yeah. Uh, someone who works all the time. Absolutely. Uh, and Shirley MacLaine, too, is one of those people where I feel like literally any nomination she has, she probably could have won. Uh, but we also know she's going to win an Oscar uh, in 83 for what I think is her crowning achievement in movies. I so I think so, she ends up winning for the right thing. So I don't I just I like her getting the nomination, but we're not yes. there yet. Agreed. Um, Man, I'd love to give Deborah Carr an Oscar. Uh, but and it's I, not for this movie, Rance. This no. is my least favorite of her nominations. Oh, I don't get it. I no, don't get it. I honestly, I think this is the... I, I've seen... Um, of the performances of her as I've seen, and specifically the one she was nominated for, this is what I think is her weakest. Yes, weirdly. I agree. And I think and, that... Man, I'd like to give her an Oscar, but it just hasn't happened yet. No, and it won't be for this because, again, category fraud, this should be – I mean, if it's going to be nominated, it should be in supporting actress. Um, I'd rather but... it wasn't nominated. I don't think this is – Exactly. Yes. I don't think – I think she kind of overplays plays it. Me too. Yeah, it's um, – yeah. But I love her, would love to give her an Oscar, just mm-hmm. not for this. It's not this. <laughs> I will tell you, if anyone was going to beat Susan Hayward, it was Rosalind Russell here. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, who <laughs> – tears apart anti-mame it is anti-mame is a very much a filmed play it has uh reached an iconic status in gay culture um because of its sheer decadence and over-the-top qualities and the fact that it centers around this character that is so larger than life and when you see it you just have a tough time imagining anyone but rosalind russell doing this um, and making it come off because without her, you're just kind of left with a movie that's uh, very stagey mm. um, and uh, is overlong, mm. I will say. Um, but she just bites into every scene with such vigor um, and just delivers lines with such punch and just creates this um, incredible woman. Um, that uh, I I kind of wish she had won for this, but um, you know I don't have any loyalties to Susan Hayward, so I don't mind taking an Oscar from her. Sure. But I also do know she got lots of nominations. But so did Rosalind Russell, and Russell Rosalind Russell never won one. And she, I would say, is uh, arguably has a larger imprint on film history. Um, you know I feel like more people yeah. know who she is. Sure. Uh, so I don't know how I, I feel about that. Um, but Liz Taylor, this is her second nomination, second in a row. Yes. Um, she's going to get four in a row. Oh, yeah. By um, this point, the Academy has fallen in love with Elizabeth Taylor. She Yeah, she goes on a rampage. <laughs> and her playing a kind of loose character called Maggie the Cat. Yes. And Cat on a Hot Tin Ruth also plays perfectly into what the public perception of her is at this point in time after taking Eddie Fisher from Debbie Reynolds. So what we're going to see a lot with Liz Taylor's uh, appearances at the Oscars is how they intermingle with her real life and the public perception of her. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, she's a genius. She really is a genius. She, Elizabeth Taylor, knew exactly what she was doing when it came to picking parts, picking <laughs> men, kind of her entire, you know, PR campaign for almost every nomination. Like, it just... It's it's really, really well done and quite spectacular. She was very aware of her public persona, and she used that brilliantly, I think. Even though this might not be my favorite of her performances, um, yeah, I love I, that. We'll, we'll get there next year. We'll, but, <laughs> yeah, we will. But I still <laughs> love that she shows up here. You know, I think it's great. I think she does kind of – she matches Paul Newman enough, you know? I do think Paul Newman – kind of goes above and beyond even Burl Ives you know as Big Daddy I think they all kind of offer a better screen presence than she does in this movie uh but I still think she does a very impressive job as Maggie the Cat which is a hard role to play but I think she does very very well well you know what I find so interesting about her is that she was a person who um and I think we may have I don't know if we've discussed this yet but I I feel like she um, you know, she came from the studio system, and by that I mean she literally was a child in the studio system and raised she not in real classrooms but studio um, schools, and she um, never, in any point in her life where she was truly conscious, wasn't famous. Right. You know? totally. And um, and I like that you know Paul Newman. Uh, Montgomery Clift, um, later Richard Burton, very famously, these great actors that she associates herself with, and um, particularly beginning in this period of her career, she really starts challenging herself and, and goes up and up and up for the next 10 years in terms of um, the level of achievement she has in her performances and stretching her own talent and abilities and trying things that are unusual and interesting. And sometimes the risk works. Sometimes, you know, she and Richard Burton made some really weird movies that did not quite land uh, later on, but she's always taking those risks. And um, she really does for this period of her career challenge yourself as an actress and I think take a lot from different schools of acting trying to find her best vibe and she transcends her beauty she transcends which I you sh cannot undercut she is the most beautiful beautiful person on the face of the planet at this point in yeah. time yeah um <laughs> no doubt <laughs> uh and again like violet eyes like you cannot she but I think that's a part stunning. of what you're getting at here with her attractiveness. And obviously she knows she's good looking. Everyone knows she's good looking. But I also think she knew that if she wanted a certain longevity in movies and Hollywood and this career as an actor, she needed to become a better actor because eventually the looks will go away. I mean, I think she aged pretty gracefully. I think she still looks beautiful into the 60s, 70s and 80s. But I think she knew that she wasn't going to be able to rely on her looks forever, she needed to match that with acting talent. And I think that's why you said she surrounded herself with really, really good actors. They made her better. And I think, yeah, again, I think it's just a really smart choice she made and she knew she had to. 
she did exactly what she needed to do to survive as long as she did. And that includes the periods when she kind of left acting behind mm-hmm. and became a businesswoman um, and created her own perfume line, um, which the advertisements for those perfumes are still out. I mean, it still exists. Oh, yeah. And after her death, I think all of us have seen that white diamonds commercial at some point in our life, the black and white one where they're like playing cards and you know, you've, you've seen it. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, and also a great humanitarian and becoming one of the trailblazers in AIDS fundraising and research. She um, can't, I just, I can't undercut here. She may be known for getting, she, she balanced that celebrity of being known for marrying all the men and, and like eight different marriages, if I'm not mistaken, to seven different men. Um, but she balanced that beauty and notoriety and celebrity and backed it up with um, a person who had natural talent that was always striving to be better and then also worked to be an impressive person in her own life. She was also the first prominent celebrity um, to go public with going to alcoholic rehabilitation center mm. um, when she went to the Betty Ford Center. Right. So, yeah, I definitely. Mean, yeah. I think she, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, as a person, as an actress and an entertainer, she, there are so many faces that she had. And yeah, I think she really lived a full, full life. And it's very interesting. More faces than all three of Eve's. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, but Susan Hayward's the one who walks away with the Oscar, and I don't yeah. have a huge problem with that other than the fact that I would have really liked to have gotten Rosalind Russell an Oscar at some point. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. But you know what, Rance? I think it's time we move on and we discuss the night's big winner. This is, this is pretty huge, actually. GG... Um, one best picture and best director, Vincent Minnelli, here again with another big MGM musical. Along with seven other awards. Along with seven others. Gigi went nine for nine. At, at this point in time, it was the record. It set the record for most wins, per nom- well, winning all of its nominations, nine for nine. You know, it beaten, we'll talk about next And also week. the most wins for... One year, it's the most wins. Exactly, yes. Uh, which, it does get beat next year by Ben-Hur, um, and matched in 1987 by uh, The Last Emperor, which also went nine for nine. But Gigi did it first. Now, I want to yes, ask you... Yes, and they did it... Um, you know what I think is interesting about it? Um, the Last Emperor, and um, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, all of which went perfect batting average... What do all those movies have in common and what they did not win for? <laughs> acting category. Not one of them has an acting win. And I think that's so interesting. That is. So let me ask you, if if you could pull any of the performances from Gigi out as acting nominations, would you? And who would you highlight? You know, I um I have lots of opinions on the movie itself. I mm-hmm. think the performances in the movie are pretty uniformly solid. Mm-hmm. Um I, I mean, I, re, I I think Leslie Caron is a really great little actress, and I, I would have been fine. I think she's better than Deborah Carr is in Separate Tables. Yes. Um, um, I also 
am a little surprised. I have many things to talk about with this character, but um, I'm a little surprised that we don't see Marie Chevalier in supporting actor. I agree. With yes. As popular as this movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, and as and popular as the songs that he sang in this movie became, you know what I mean? Like they yes. kind of became standards and he originated yeah. them. Um, and I also love her uh, her aunt, played by Hermione uh, Gringold. Is that your Yes, name? yes. That was uh, the one that I was actually going to highlight and pull out. She was my favorite, too. Yes. So I, um, I'm a little surprised, honestly. Yeah. Um, with as many nominations as this movie got, and with as solid as the performances pretty uniformly are in the cast... Um, that there wasn't one uh, major nomination. I mean, I think uh, I think uh, Leslie Jordan's a beautiful man, and he does a he does a great job of this part. But I do not uh, consider it a best actor nomination. No, but you're absolutely right. He plays the character of a uh, character of Gaston, uh, who eventually uh, pursues young Gigi, uh, and they end up getting married in the end. And I could not agree with you more. I wrote down. Um, Gaston is yummy. Like, he's just so yummy. And he also does, uh, he sings very interestingly as very well. Very Rex harrison Very Rex harrison very speaking, singing, talk singing, you know what I mean? And to be very well, honest Mar- with you... Chevalier does that as well. He does. And to be very honest with you, um, I prefer that. I think that might be one of the reasons why I walked away really enjoying this movie a lot more than I thought I would. Mainly because this movie really feels like a movie that happens to have a couple of songs. You know what I mean? Less so a movie musical. Whereas, you know, if we're going to compare it to Minnelli's other 1950s musical, An American in Paris, which very much feels like a musical stage, you know, dance show with a couple of scenes intercut in between it. To me, this has a very different vibe. It really felt like a movie first, the music came second. And I think that's why I enjoyed it a lot more. Here's my thing. Mm -hmm. I think that it is a sumptuous film. Mm, I think the production values are stellar. The location work in France is amazing. Um, The color is, it just jumps off the screen. Yes, it does. The red in (sighs) that apartment set is... Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Stunning. I, it's the morals in the movie that I have a tough time getting around. Let's get Um, into that. Yes, let's, we need to address that. Yes, please. And Maurice Chevalier is kind of at the center of that because the opening song, which is a standard, (laughs) um, Thank Heaven for Little Girls, is presented in a way that just feels very creepy to me um, and sets the movie on a weird tone because um, it's the opening scene and um, he's at at different points. He's singing about girls who are toddlers. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, and I feel like the whole point of that song is, you know, he's saying thank heavens for little girls because they're going to grow up one day to be with men and to please the men and, Mm -hmm. You know, that's what he's getting at. Well, I mean, it's 1950s, so ultimately, the the woman isn't supposed to be good for just sex. She's also she's supposed to be good for marriage. Like that's the way that that's the stance well, right. that he takes. And that's what it is too with Gaston. You know, once Gigi has kind of made that transformation into the courtesan that her aunt and grandma 
uh, have kind of set her up for Gaston almost like doesn't want to be with her because she's acting like all the other women he'd been with before. And that's the realization I think you're talking about where he realizes, oh, no, I like you as more than just this companion or this woman in my bed. Like, I like you for you. And that's kind of the switch that gets made. Do we think, though, here's a question for you, I wonder, since this movie but is technically the set. Yes, okay, it does. Sorry. But since the movie is technically set, you know, in the very early 1900, I think it's actually set in 1900, um, Paris, France, you know, where the customs and everything was, just, you know, it worked so differently back then. And I know it's like we don't want to forgive and condone that. But do you think there is. um what do you say? Some like saving grace with it that by the end of the film, they do kind of denounce that old way of living, you know, is, well, do we, I mean, do we forgive denounce, it for that? They denounce, they denounce sex for pleasure with a hooker. <laughs> um, Correct. And they, they tell us that women are, are not just good for sex. They're also good for marriage. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. No, I don't I, I know see your point. I see how your point. progressive that right. is. No, you're but, right. You're absolutely right. It's um, not quite there. So it's it's hard for me, like, in 2020 yes. to be, like, to say that that was a different time. But at the same time, it is, it's a, it's a well-mounted, well-produced, well-acted, well-directed movie yes. that doesn't overstay its welcome. It It tells the story. It gets through it. It does everything it's supposed to do. There are some really interesting creative touches that I enjoy, like um, when the whole um, uh, restaurant or hangout place stops. Yes. To watch. The couple enter the couple and they enter gossip and, about them. Um, definitely, yes. It's it's and it's such a decadent movie. It's gorgeous. We yeah we we really cannot state enough how beautiful this film is i mean just starting out when they're walking down like the promenade and you see all the girls like i feel like every single girl is wearing a different colored dress and it's not green the color of the grass like every color stands out on the palette mm-hmm. and it it really yeah it really drives the film aesthetically this movie like i never got i never got sick looking at the screen because every scene is so artistically mounted and i think that that is kind of the shining um, gold of what Gigi is, you know, which is which is where I feel like it's it's it that's where the argument for honoring Vincent Minnelli for this film really is, because I, I do think that it does very much showcase his unique ability um, to make a movie a painting. Yeah. Because this movie looks like a painting. Yes, over and over again. That's exactly what it is. And um, it, so it's just, it's just one of those interesting little problem films that has a lot of pluses um, and then a, a couple of really big minuses um, <sighs> yeah. that uh, have a lot of hindsight, to be fair, Um involved with them and that um are not and were not things anyone in 1958 was talking about true and also like it should be noted that Gigi had a terrible time um getting approved with the censors like it took years to really get it mounted because 
because of the content. So I think well, it's important I mean, to know that like people were aware in nineteen the late 1950s at how, you know, appropriate this or I should say unappropriate this subject matter really was and it wasn't until they made that change at the end where Gaston, you know, turns away from that usual um Parisian way of life to a different sort of marriage with Gigi. That's kind of what finally allowed the censors to move this movie forward. So, so on the stage, what was the ending? That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was, you know, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Um, I will say though, I really enjoyed the title track, Gigi, which did win best original song. I thought it's, I thought it was kind of good. I don't know. I, I kind of like that song. <laughs> which song? Were, Gigi, the title song. I thought it was. Oh cute. yeah, that was a good song. <laughs> Yeah, it was cute. I mean, there's a lot of... I really like um, I Remember It Well. Uh, I like that one a lot, too. That was super-duper well done. Yeah, I like that uh, one, too. I don't know. I think it's I think it's recommendable. I just think it, it has a heavy asterisk on it. Yes, you should be aware going in that, yes, that is kind of the smear on this movie, is it definitely glorifies <sighs> women as sexual objects for men. We should say powerful rich men, mind you. <laughs> or, or if they're not that, they're someone's wife. They're someone's wife. Yes, that's you know, kind of all that's um, there for them. I just want all of you to know that women can be the most defining, change-making member of the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm. Oh. They, they don't just have to uh, be wives or courtesans, um, courtesans. Uh, there are so many uh, incredible options. Uh, every option that's available to a man should be available to a woman. And uh, don't watch Gigi and think that isn't the case. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Um, Very well said. I will yeah. say, I really enjoyed other aspects of this screenplay. I thought this was really quite witty I, I wrote down a couple a of lines of yeah there's some lines that stood out that i thought were hilarious most of them said by um her aunt um one being bad table manners have broken up more households than infidelity i thought that was really really funny mm-hmm. um when she's talking about her diamonds and Gigi asks her where she got this stunning emerald and she says a king and Gigi asks oh a great king and she said no a little king great kings don't give out big diamonds they don't have to <laughs> you know i the i did like a, a more progressive part of the screenplay that i liked about that character was i liked how much that woman owned who she was yes she yes. wasn't ashamed of the fact that she had been a um, sexual congress. Yep. You and know? you see them, and that's what she's teaching Gigi. You know, that's the life this aunt has known. And to her, that's the only way for a woman to kind of survive. You know what I mean? Is and to prepare them to be these time, courtesans. In, in this, this point, point of time. time would have been. Exactly. So you see that, that right. pull of Gigi where she's getting this information from her aunt and she it doesn't feel right with her. You know, she is kind of that person who's going to finally break the mold and do her own thing. You know? I feel like if Thank Heaven for Little Girls wasn't there, I would probably have a very different overall opinion. I think it set me in a certain mind that made me go, oh, oh, yeah, it's kind of, well, it's kind time. of a record scratch where you're like, did he just say what I think he just said? Like, if this movie were actually, you know, God forbid, if they 
remake Gigi in 2024 or something, uh, I think this musical number will be thrown in the garbage. Yes. Or changed into thank heaven for intelligent, learned, (laughs) badass women. Um, Definitely. Okay, let's get into what we're going to talk about next week. The 1959 Best Picture winner, Ben Hur. That's pretty much all we'll be talking about because it won everything. (laughs) Although I will say, one of my favorites classic movies room at the top is also nominated and oh. wins some oscars in 1959 have you seen room at the top you know i haven't but i may uh I may make that a objective of a, my next week here i would recommend. I also will say one of my favorite classic films is um nominated for some big awards this year um and it's uh i'm not going to tell you too much about it i'm just going to tell you that something happened suddenly last summer <laughs> There are quite a few movies in 1959 we're going to discuss, the main one being Ben-Hur. I've seen it. We watched it in class, I think. Oh, also, literally every nominee for Best Picture this coming year is is a classic. I just want to say that. Yes. Um, And I'm just going to say these titles really, really quickly, um, including one that's in director but not picture, and vice versa. Um, Ben Hur obviously is is gonna be the big one we're talking about. But Anatomy of a Murderer is amazing. Diary of Anne Frank is an essential. The Nun story is amazing. Um, Room at the Top, as you said, one of your favorites. I'll give that a watch. Um, also, Some Like It Hot is nominated uh, for director. Mwah. This is Pillow Talk is nominated. Uh, this is gonna be a good. Actress. I'm really excited about this. This is gonna be. I am so excited looking at these nominees. <laughs> Imitation of Life is in here. Goodness. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a great one. So, guys, join us again next week as we break down 1959 and Ben Hur. <laughs>